0: Welcome to In Conversation with the monthly podcast series brought to you by the team that produced the Global Cosmetics Newsfeed. 2024's theme is Creating Cosmetics. This month's topic is Hair Care, and I'm your host, Siobhan Murphy. The big question we're addressing in 2024 is How do we create cosmetics now? The cosmetics industry is adapting to two significant yet seemingly conflicting social forces the digital revolution and climate change. These forces are reshaping how products are created and brought to life through innovation. In this episode, with the help of my panel, we will explore the ways companies are steering through these changes and what it means for the future of hair care. But first, let me introduce my guest. A warm welcome back to Kayleigh Brandt, the founder behind Susto, the waterless hair care brand. Also joining us today is Mallory Hurun, beauty and wellness strategist at Fashion Snoops, the global trend forecasting agency, and a special welcome to our new panellist, Rebecca Lidman, head of product at Maria Nila, the 100% professional hair care brand from Sweden. Welcome, everybody. Mallory, let's start with you. What consumer challenges have Fashion Snoots been tracking, and where are the opportunities for creating hair care products in 2024?
1: So I think that one major consumer challenge that we're still seeing in hair care, even though we've come so far already, is definitely a continued need for inclusivity within hair care. Of course, we just saw that Beyonce has launched her new hairline, and of course, Pattern by Tracy Ellis Ross has been incredibly successful. But there's still a need for more inclusive products, not only for curly, coily and forcey hair, but also for wig care. We're seeing a lot of exciting developments for wig care as well. There's a huge amount of consumers who rely on wigs and who use wigs either out of necessity or out of self-expression. And they're looking to care for wigs the same way they do as their own hair. Also, of course, there's a need for niche products for things like edges styling, locks and more. So I really think inclusivity is still an area where we can see a lot of opportunity for innovation in 2024. The other area that we're seeing as a huge challenge to consumers. And I see this every day on TikTok is misinformation. Misinformation of course is rife within beauty in general, but with hair care, because of the varying types of hair types and textures, seemingly endless. There's a lot of misinformation out there. We, of course, saw this a few years ago with the TikTok rice water challenge where consumers had become obsessed with pouring rice water on their hair to make it stronger, but then many of them were overusing it and their hair became brittle, of course, not understanding what rice water does to the hair and overusing it. We've also seen recently, within the past year or so, The Ordinary, when they launched their hair care line, they started a pro-sulfate campaign in order to fight clean beauty misinformation that often vilifies sulfates. And there's also, of course, a lot of misinformation with preservatives, parabens, understanding your hair type, understanding your hair porosity. So that's a huge challenge. And I think that educators and brands and formulators can do a huge amount of work in helping to clear up the confusion for consumers. And lastly, another consumer challenge that we're seeing that has continued opportunities for formulation and for hair care development is for hair loss. This is still a huge challenge we're tracking, not only in terms of post-pandemic hair loss, which we tracked as early as 2020, and this is still something we're seeing happen, but also just age-related hair loss, stress-related hair loss. Hair loss is a huge consumer concern. Hair growth is a huge consumer concern. A lot of consumers are now fully on board with scalp care. We see very elaborate facial level scalp care routines. And hair loss is pretty much a, a universal thing that almost every single consumer will you know, experience throughout their life. So I think, especially with a global aging population, this is a great opportunity for some better formulations, some really educational, kind, understanding brand messaging that takes the taboo out of it and helps to create a more understanding hair care industry.
0: And thinking about consumer challenges and opportunities, what are the opportunities at Maria Nyla, Rebecca?
2: To echo a bit on what Mallory was just talking about, there are, of course, several things to have in mind when creating products for anyone, anywhere, and to be inclusive. A few things to manage for us is making sure we develop products for different types of hair. It is of course a necessity, but that makes knowledge and innovation to stand out in the market. Also, we see an increase in knowledge of the consumer, especially after COVID. And I think it's not just Maria Lights. a lot of brands did see a shift after that period. And this really requires us as a brand to share our know-how and validate our products, for example, by using science-backed ingredients. and. The consumer knows so much more today around inkies, what's validated or non-validated claims, even patents and so on. But especially we see that the consumer today demands easy and effective formulas. They don't want any fuss anymore and they don't want it to have 12 step hair regime and we need to make sure we develop multi-purpose products and I know we talk about challenges here, but what we see is an opportunity to implement these things into our portfolio. And by doing so, we are sourcing new active ingredients into our library. We're working with skinification to make sure we have the right, then create new product types within our assortment to follow the consumer behavior and market. And Marianilla, we are a Scandinavian brand, but we do sell worldwide today. And by selling worldwide, you need to become a global brand. And therefore we've actually created an inclusive process in our development of products. And our development process today has a test group of people from all over the world. And this supports us, our products, and have created actually a lovely engagement with our network. If you want to join, keep track of our Instagram account for signups. And to have in mind, there are so much left undiscovered and there's so many segments of product types and consumers. So if we have this discussion in a year, I'll probably give you a new version of challenges.
0: And for you, Kaylee at Susto, you started your brand with education. What are the opportunities
3: for you guys now in 2024? Yeah, I think it's continuing that education, echoing what Mallory and Rebecca had brought up Education is so important and information is spreading more quickly than ever. So for us as a brand and all brands out there, it's really our responsibility to give accurate information. There's still not really standards for clean and on the side of the consumer, they don't really have the same tools that we do as formulators, product developers, brands, where we can go and we can say, okay, this is ISO 16128 certified natural. They don't know what that means. So it really is up to us to continue this education and transparency really throughout our brands. But also I think, again, that's an opportunity to be able to bring your brand and the ingredients and the story into the spotlight. There's a lot happening in terms of innovation on the raw materials side. So if we look at biotech specifically, there's brands like Debut that just put out their first consumer brand with an ingredient that was so scarce in the environment that we actually have never been able to use it in beauty before. And now because of biotech, we're able to grow that and literally be able to use it for the first time. And it's giving opportunities to new ingredient stories and new ways to educate around sustainable ingredients. We're seeing the same from Future Society, which is a fragrance brand, for example, that they literally are using extinct flowers and extracts as the base of their perfumes that they're creating. So I think there's a lot of opportunity when we are able to tie these really exciting ingredient stories or even new packaging type materials to the brand to reinforce this idea of what education is in beauty, we can actually make it really exciting and really fun and hopefully get more of the right information out there.
0: So thinking about these new ingredients, Mallory, what are the technical challenges Fashion Snoops have been tracking and where are the opportunities for creating hair care products?
1: Just circling back to what Rebecca said about how consumers are willing to invest in a routine, but especially for hair care, they don't want these extensive routines if they don't have to have them. So I think a major technological challenge are formulating styling products that are multi-purpose, which is extremely challenging. Considering how many different hair types there are and all the different needs of different hair types, I think that's a code that few products have been able to crack. And so I think trying to create multifunctional products within hair care is still still a challenge. I also think hair care product sizes, we're really seeing a need for less but better products that deliver more use value and more efficacy. And of course, solid hair care is an area we would like to see grow more. It is growing, but it's an area that needs to grow more. We're also seeing, of course, updates within condensed hair care products. So products that are activated by water, for example. There's also a need for products that are just lighter and don't create excess buildup. There's a real textural fascination with consumers and their hair and hair care. And so I think formulating for texture and feel is a huge way to connect with consumers as well as creating those multifunctional products that deliver more, more use and more ways to use them for different hair types, but also creating products that don't take up so much room. We've been used to for so long, these giant bottles of shampoo. And I think consumers are really gravitating away towards that, not only for sustainability reasons, of course, but also just for the aesthetic, for to reduce clutter. So definitely solid, condensed products, smaller bottles are definitely an area that can use a lot of technical innovation for sure.
0: And in the professional market, Rebecca, what are the technical challenges for you guys? And where are the opportunities when you are thinking about a global market?
2: I'm very privileged to work at a company where we have our own production and R&D. We have our own laboratory with eight different chemists to be part of the product development all almost already from when we're drafting the concept for a new collection to when we actually scale it up for production. And there are so many things we want to get into each and every one of the products, but still make them easy to use and effective as mentioned earlier. But I would say for us, the main challenge always is the question of innovation versus speed to market. Mariana is very famous for product quantity, and that is something we take great pride in. And that is thanks to our long development processes. And we see that the development should be able to take time to get all of the claims and all tests in place. We use to utilize our own lab and when needed, we include external labs and we always have the product with big global test groups as mentioned earlier. And that obviously eats time for us, but it secures the quality of the products and we never launch anything that does not feel 110%, but I think it's a tough equation as being a producer and a brand.
0: And in 2024, Kaylee. What are the technical challenges
3: and opportunities for your brand? I think speed to market to echo Rebecca, again, this is always the challenge is, especially when you're working with investors and retail partners, everyone wants to see new product faster and faster. And being a brand really based on sustainability and innovation, that is never something that I wanted to rush. So we really are taking our time in developing these new formats that perform. If you don't have performance, then you're not going to have adoption in the market and being a new format and really still at the beginning of waterless. This is something that has always been a challenge is balancing, bringing out something new that the market's ready for, but Also being able to work in these new innovative ingredients. I see a lot on the raw materials side that I would love to use, but it's not commercialized yet. And it's okay, it won't make it in this iteration. I hope to use it in the future, but it is a really challenging development timeline. And of course you wanna test the product with users, all different hair types, making sure that who you're designing for is what's matching the formula and really being able to consider the whole picture. I think there's a lot of lightweight LCA softwares out there right now that are looking at the footprint of each product and some things like Bluebird Climate, for example, it's very easy to look at packaging and distribution and it's great that we can easily communicate that to consumers, however, There's so much behind the scenes in the supply chain that's harder to get right and be able to communicate to consumers very quickly and effectively. We only have a couple of seconds, whether it be on shelf or online, to communicate this efficacy. And that is definitely a challenge, especially in the care category for hair.
0: And thinking about supply chains, Mallory... What environmental challenges have Fashion Snoop been tracking and where are the opportunities for creating hair care products in 2024?
1: Well, Kaylee just mentioned waterless. And just to build off of what I was mentioning earlier with concentrated and solid care updates, definitely product weight is still a huge factor in terms of environmental challenges with moving hair care products around the world that's definitely something that in terms of shipping and carbon footprint of moving hair care products is something i think the industry is still evolving we've seen so many amazing brands tackle this issue so i have a lot of optimism That there will be great steps forward, but that is one major thing. Another thing that Kelly mentioned that I definitely wholeheartedly agree with is the role of biotechnology in filling these gaps for hair care products. Biotech, as many innovations as we've seen so far within biotech, we are still just scratching the surface of what it is capable of achieving in terms of replicating ingredients that we're depleting in the wild, for example, or ingredients that don't have a huge amount of scalability, for example, if they're just sourced from nature. So there is a great amount that biotech can do. We're also loving what biotech can do for fermented ingredients and also to maximize upcycling as well. I think upcycling a few years ago, it was the buzzword of the moment and it hasn't gone away, but I feel like it's no longer seen as that silver bullet solution, but of course it is making the most of waste is one area that the beauty industry is going to have to increasingly embrace going forward. So certainly upcycling zero waste solutions as well. The problem is we've seen so many great indie small hair care brands that are small batch, biodegradable, brands that use however amount. Percentage less energy in all their processes, but there these are small indie brands we're talking about, and so how do we translate these same environmental initiatives to the big players in the industry is another concern. And of course, using those biotech solutions to find alternatives. We recently saw a great brand launch sustainable synthetic biotech alternative to palm oil. So really identifying these ingredients that were over depleting in nature and creating viable, and I think that's the key word, and viable biotech alternatives that are not only as good as that traditional ingredient, but better because consumers will not adopt a new product if it doesn't perform the same way that traditional ones have. If we really want consumers to adopt sustainable changes moving forward, it has to be easy and completely seamless for them. So in, in that respect, I think there is a lot of opportunity to address that need for consumers.
0: And for your global professional hair care brand, Rebecca, what are the environmental challenges and where are the opportunities?
2: From our point of view, there are several things we can do to continuously make sure we walk that extra mile. so to say. It's very important to understand the different sustainable effects of beauty. We might not be able to do everything at once, but small steps in each area. For example, last year, we redesigned caps, reducing material by 70%. We're incorporating PCR in all packaging possible, and we see that's becoming more and more common on the market to support both recycled material. But on top of that, our design team is working very hardly on developing packaging, so the packaging itself is more recyclable to increase recyclability. And there are, of course, more things such as sourcing local raw material, reusing water, something we have in implementation phase at the moment. And we work with a lot of different associations such as PETA, Vegan Society, Plan Vivo, and we have plans to be certified in all areas of sustainability scope long-term, but we need to have in mind that there are things out of our control and certain things out of our scope when we talk about sustainability. Sustainability can be seen through so many different scopes. For example, the step of sourcing and supply pre our own production can be quite challenging. For example, we have sourced in several projects, 100% recycled aluminum as packaging for a lot of projects the past one and a half year. But there is an issue of supply at the moment and demand because the suppliers cannot meet all brands' demands due to shortage. And without naming who, and last year, a big player bought a vast majority and that limits our sourcing, for example. And the next step is then what we do, as I mentioned a few things earlier, but one challenge is making sure the customer shift to a sustainable mindset. And many solutions are great in discussion, but not validated through consumer action. And back to education that we need to educate them. And I would say that's our job as a brand, and it's the industry's job to educate the market and the consumer. And talking about commun- consumer actions, uh, talking about control and effect, what's hard to manage in practice also from our side is exactly that. How much water will be used in the shower using our products? How does he or she travel to the salon? Is it by bar, bike, or car? And Will the consumer actually recycle the packaging that we made easily recyclable or not? And what we can do to impact each scope and our goal is to encourage people to choose friendly and pay it forward. And back to what we talked about, education, information and making it easy for the consumers. And we can do more, the consumer can do more. And as I cliche, it may sound like yeah, sustainability is something we need to do all together. if looking at the full scope.
0: Indeed, it is. And at Sesto, Kaylee, you are a small niche indie brand. What are the environmental challenges and where are the opportunities for you guys now in 2024?
3: Definitely for us is on packaging. I'm really optimistic about this, but I think we all know recycling is not the answer. We can't just tell consumers to recycle. It's out of our control. Um, I think we have to do better as brands, and it is challenging from the economical perspective as well. When we're looking at using these new materials, they are more expensive. When we were first designing our packaging, we used the highest percent, over 95%, post-consumer resin for our bottles. And we designed custom molds. We hollowed out the cap. We used as little material as possible. And the reality is it doesn't matter because it's not getting recycled or reused again. It's great that we use recycled material to start with, but it's not gonna solve this huge problem that we have. And as you're saying, it's we're a small brand. So the impact we have is a lot less than a larger corporation. And so this is really where I'm optimistic. We can turn to the innovation and the technology that's come to market in the last few years. There are many packaging companies now that have fully biodegradable solutions. A few years ago, there was really solar Pack on the market, for example, which is like a wood pulp injection molded material. It couldn't hold anything that was water-based, which eliminates a lot of opportunities. But now there's companies like Shellworks, which actually has a packaging that is developed by microbes, essentially. And then when it goes back to the soil, the microbes eat it like a snack because they view it as an energy source because that's where it came from. So there's so much innovation. I think to echo what Rebecca just said, it's about collaborating. We need to come together as brands, small or large, and help support these smaller companies that have cracked the code and have something that can bring change to the market and work together and work with those companies and work together as brands to kind of chip in and get this stuff to a point where we can purchase it. And it makes sense for everyone in terms of cost. And it's totally possible. It's just these things aren't scaled yet. And so I think it's the biggest challenge, but also the biggest opportunity to work with these new solutions. I just, I think we need to get away from this idea of recycling is going to be the solution for packaging.
0: And thinking about changes in the market, Mallory, what are the regulatory challenges that Fashion Snoops have been tracking? Where are the opportunities for creating hair care products?
1: Sure. So the first area of regulation, and I've talked about this time and time again on this podcast, but it still is... Slow in developing is reining in a lot of these terms that are not regulated, especially within hair care. Various claims are certainly disputed amongst dermatologists and hair care professionals, but these terms aren't regulated. And so, again, this leads to misinformation problem. Of course, this varies country by country. And here in the U.S., we have a very small, basically non-existent <laughs> regulations in terms of marketing cosmetic and uh, personal care products. But I think regulation, if it can happen, will be huge for shifting the consumer perception of what they believe to be true about products and giving them a little bit more critical thinking skills about questioning certain claims made by products. Of course, there are good actors and bad actors within the hair care space. We, of course, see the smaller niche indie brands being good actors within this space generally in terms of education and making honest claims. And we typically see a lot of false or misleading claims from some of the larger actors. Of course, generally speaking, not true across the board. But I think regulating and tackling greenwashing is one big area and that will help consumers identify products better. Another area for regulation is still this issue of toxic hair care chemicals, especially for BIPOC women, in terms of the products that have been historically marketed to and used by BIPOC women, relaxers, for example, and hair straightening treatments, hot oils, polishes, hair lotions that have for decades been marketed to specific demographics have also been linked to cancers and all sorts of healthcare problems as is being shown. And so I think that we're now seeing the beginning of regulation for some of these chemicals within the US. It is of course extremely tricky as these are products that have been used by generations now at this point and are integral to hair care routines. And so this is an area that we see as a tricky issue where there's a healthcare necessity to regulate them, but it needs to be done in such a way that is not depriving consumers of a product they've used their whole life. That's a really difficult area to tackle. However, in terms of opportunities, we've seen amazing regulations, even in the very slow going US. Of course, the Crown Act is one I've referenced before in this podcast in terms of removing discrimination for textured and inclusive hair in terms of you cannot be discriminated for having locks, afros, braids, coils, etc. within the workplace. And so legitimizing and normalizing these styles opens up the opportunity to create product in a culture of understanding around these hairstyles.
0: Indeed. And as a global professional hair care brand, What are the regulatory challenges and where are the opportunities for Maria Nyla?
2: The cosmetic regulations are constantly changing and keeping up with updates and maintaining the same product quality can be quite challenging. Thankfully, I myself have colleagues working in-house with regulations, and that helps us securing our responsibility within the development. And I would say there is one main challenge for us, and that is the difference in regulations between markets. And we are a producer within Europe, and we stay up to date with current and upcoming regulations. And the EU format is really in the forefront regulatory-wise. But as we are growing into over 40 plus markets, this regulatory difference between countries become a challenge. For example, when we develop our aerosols, which is the spray product, we need to have different gas for the U.S. market versus our European countries and customers in terms of VOC levels, for example, and it requires different development methods and different suppliers. So it's a completely different way of working. Or in terms of claims and on packaging, the claims cannot always be the same. We have the products where we need to revise claims in the US versus what we are allowed to validate in Europe. So it's by having a global portfolio, we still need to switch and work and tweak tweak it in certain markets, especially to follow all of the regulatory requirements.
0: And for your brand, Kaylee, what are the
3: regulatory challenges and where are the opportunities for you guys? I think there's still the unknown of what mokra will be. So for us on the brand side, I've always been very diligent about getting all of the documentation for all of the ingredients that we use. That's something that as a product developer, I always take responsibility for. And I think that a brand like us will be covered, but we don't really know until we see what that regulation means for brands in the U.S. And I think the concentrated formats as well is something that is challenging because we have different restrictions on ingredients. And the really one of the main reasons that I developed something that's water activated versus you add water and it sits in a bottle over time is because the preservatives are restricted as well. So we can't really guarantee the quality of the product, if it's being mixed at home and sitting on a shelf. And I think that's a challenge for a lot of these companies that are using this kind of add water and create a shelf staple product at home. The other thing there as well is chelating agents. So that cleans up the water in a way, it's like a filter for the water. And this is something that water quality is constantly different, even within the U S cities versus suburbia, different cities. And then when you look at different countries, it's even more vast. So I think this is a challenge overall because you really are restricted with the use of these ingredients and that's coming even not just from regulatory bodies, but now looking at retailer restrictions for clean as well. So we've really decided to do this concentrated format that's ready to use versus going this direction because of those type of restrictions.
0: Interesting. And Mallory, a new quick fire round. Describe the future hair care market in three words.
1: I would say inclusive, sustainable, and effective, with emphasis on the final one, because unless hair care products continue to evolve and stay ahead of efficacy, consumers will have a hard time adopting sustainable products as well as inclusive formats as well.
0: And for you, Rebecca, describe the future of hair care in three words. Quite similar, but
2: I would say innovation, sustainability, and experience. Talking about the last word, experience, I don't think clean hair is enough anymore The reality is we need to have an experience for the consumer in everything from the bottle design, touching the bottle, touching the formula, using more senses in the usage through the video shared on TikTok and so on. And all this to have the customer engaged, informed, educated, and ready to consume.
0: And last but not least, Kaylee, describe the future of hair care Um, market in three words. I would say
3: first, clinical. I like this because it's the evolution of clean. It's really the safer formulas, taking this idea and combining it with science and clinical results, which I think is huge. Before afters consumer perception testing. We need to see more of this scientific because the biotech industry is booming if I haven't mentioned it enough. There is going to be a lot of new materials, and I think it's so exciting from the brand perspective to see solutions that I've been hoping for so long finally now coming to market. And efficacious. I think at the end of the day, the consumers want products at work. It doesn't matter how, how much we try to be different or bring new ingredients or show Something on TikTok, it's really about, does it work for that consumer? Does it meet their needs? Are they getting the results that they want from that product?
0: And with that, I would like to thank all my guests, Mallory, Rebecca, and Kaylee, and for you joining me today.